the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock as we continue on this Tuesday morning, the 11th morning of the month of September of the year of our Lord, 2018. It has been 17 years. You know, each and every show, I start each hour with the words of President Reagan because of the inspiration that they provide. And I'll be selfish. I'll admit it. It's, it's for me as much as, as it is for you. I get inspired by it. I get, uh, I get uh, enthused and energized by it. And uh, it's something that I'm going to continue to do for that reason. But on this day, uh, before I get to Peter Kersenow, there are the words of another president that I would like to share with you as we start our number two, because these are especially inspiring, given the anniversary of the day. I want you all to know that America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people tell you at that moment in time I was so thankful that George W. Bush was our president because the leadership he showed the inspiration he gave it lifted a country he stood atop that fire truck at ground zero and he lifted a country with it with a few words shouted into a into a bullhorn 
It was one of the most uh, memorable things that I've ever seen. His arm around that firefighter who tried to get down and give him the makeshift podium, if you will, and he said, where are you going? You get back up here. And he put his arm around that first responder, and he hugged America as he hugged that man. And it was uh, such an emotional time. And as I shared with you at the start of last hour, all of the trauma and the uh, television and radio calls of the uh, of the events as they unfolded, uh, and we... We remembered the terror. I wanted to share with you to start this hour the beginning of an uplifting. And that's what President Bush provided us on that day. Peter Kirstenau joins us once again for his regular visit on AM 1420. The Answer, Peter, a Cleveland attorney. Peter, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter, the host of the Kirstenau Report, which you hear each and every week right here on AM 1420. The Answer as well. Uh, Peter, good morning, sir. How are you? Doing great, Bob. Uh, 39 days to the World Series. Let's see what Josh Donaldson brings to the Indians, who aren't quite hitting on all cylinders right now. No, they're definitely not. Definitely not. Although I knew you are, uh, and I knew I could count on you to give us the uh, to give us the lowdown on that. Pete, before we get into the news of the day, and I want to talk about Barack Obama uh, returning to uh, the public. Uh, 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 well, just returning to the public life, I suppose, and his criticism of Donald Trump and some things he had to say. But before we get into the news of the day, as I mentioned to you off the air, I just uh, I, I like to get everyone who I respect uh, get their retrospective of nine uh, eleven now seventeen years on. Yeah, you know, I'm one of those guys. I think every single American remembers exactly where they were when they first heard. And I was here in my office um, at law firm and. Um, one of my partners whose office was right next door to me, I heard him say, you're kidding. He was on the phone with somebody. And he had a different voice. You know, I mean, I hear him all the time, but his voice was different, and uh, it sounded alarmed. And um, he kept saying things in a kind of uh, histrionic fashion. And then um, I saw him go out of his office, and I figured, i got to follow him. And I followed him to one of our conference rooms where we had a TV, turned it on, and we saw the first World Trade Center tower smoking. And they said that a plane had crashed into it. And, it, and I remember thinking, it's a sunny day. Uh, they couldn't have had some kind of a mishap. It, it's just an impossibility. And we were all perplexed. And as I suspect, like millions of Americans, we were staring at the screen when the second plane hit. And immediately upon it hitting, I think, well, I know for myself, I thought, we're at war. And just a short time after that, we heard about the plane running into the Pentagon, and then, of course, Shanksville. Um, and we all evacuated our building, and we evacuated downtown. It was an extraordinary time. But I remember thinking to myself, when I got home, and, of course, you know, many of us were riveted to our television screens, and, you know, we witnessed the World Trade Center towers collapsing, I what struck me, the thing I think that stood out in my mind more than anything else was the image of Americans jumping out of those windows at the top of the World Trade Center. Uh, it was extraordinary. And I, I thought to myself, what caused them to do something like that, Consider the dilemma they were facing, either being burned to death or jumping to their deaths, and I remember thinking at that time, I said, I hope that this image is imprinted in the minds of all Americans. I hope it's an indelible image. It's one we shouldn't forget. But almost immediately, our media made sure to scrub it from any of the replays. Uh, you rarely would see it. On occasion, when they do have a retrospective on 9-11, you may see it happen. 
But it was my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, but it was my opinion that it was important for those images to be replayed, maybe not constantly, but at decent intervals to remind us of what we were facing so that we wouldn't forget the evil that had confronted us on that day and what was required of us as Americans. But almost immediately, we were told by our betters to watch out for the inevitable backlash. And this happens all the time. Every time there's a terrorist attack on American interests, you know, we're, we're admonished that we shouldn't have a backlash, and a backlash that never emerges. It never occurs. There's never a backlash. But we constantly forget the sacrifices made by a number of Americans, the heroic Americans. I lost a football teammate of mine, a college football teammate in the World Trade Centers, and he was not just an an ordinary teammate. He was also uh, one of the greatest lacrosse players in college history. And all of us, I think, lost a little bit on that day. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it was one of these days that I know I was inspired by the words that I just heard from George W. Bush that you played. Um, I remember a period of unity for actually several months until it started to unravel for political reasons, right. which I thought was shameful. And um, people trying to well, we got into we got into 2002 is what we did. You know, September of 2001 quickly became 2002, which is a midterm uh, year. And suddenly we can't be supportive of this man. We have to tear him apart. Right. Right. And I thought that that was uh, despicable. There are certain things that uh, transcend temporal partisan advantage. Uh, But unfortunately, we have a lot of mendacious politicians who are looking out for party before country. And we see, we've seen a lot of that uh, in the last 17 years. But for a period of time, I remember thinking that America was unified in a way that uh, I rarely experienced during my lifetime. And we were proud to be Americans for a period of time. But the unfortunate eventuality was that began to unwind and unravel um, pretty rapidly. And then it got to the point, of course, where we've been wallowing for quite some time in an era where tens of millions and almost an entire political party is devoted to the proposition that Americans are evil and racist and homophobic and everything else in the world and place identity, whether it's based on party affiliation or race, sex, uh, whatever it may be, ideology, over being an American. Uh, And that's very unfortunate. Um, I think, you know, we can't constantly have the kind of unity that we had immediately after 9-11, but it's important to have elements of that. But more importantly, there should be a substrata of patriotism that undergirds all of America. But there's so much right now, and I see it, and we all see it constantly, uh, from our major media and uh, certain ideologues that seeks to undermine America, the notion of America, that America is, as Governor Cuomo said, was never all that great. Um, That's pernicious. That's shameful. I'm not saying that we all have to walk in lockstep, but tell the truth. Don't, for political advantage, advance lies about the greatest nation on earth. And that's what we're doing constantly in academia, in our major media, for political advantage. That's despicable. Peter Kirstenau, absolutely, completely correct, uh, and I could not agree with you more about uh, about showing those uh, images, uh, particularly of those who fell. I saw a very, very 
moving documentary called The Falling Man. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's been out for a few years now, and it it, it traced the most iconic photograph of um, uh, the jumpers uh, who 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 chose to end their lives um, through that me- method than rather than burning to death in the inferno. And uh, it was the one of the individual who is upside down. His knee is almost bent at a like as if he were doing a jackknife dive in a, in a, in, a, in a pool. Um, and it, it was so iconic. And there was a story. Or the, the documentary was about why it is that the media chose not to show those anymore. And the backlash. The one newspaper who ran that that photograph as a full page photograph. They were hit so hard by people who just couldn't handle it and did not want to personalize it in the way that they did and the news media had such a such a difficult decision to make about whether or not they show the horror in personal photographs and and video images of the jumpers or if that was just a bridge too far because of that personal moment of uh, of you know the decision to take one's own life in 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 the manner that they chose it was just an amazing thing my my point is i agree with you they needed to show it but i also understood how hard that hit people at the time uh, and your retrospective was phenomenal. Pete, I'm going to take our time out now so that we can come back and talk about the news of the day. The President of the United States is under attack by the former President of the United States, and his choice for Supreme Court Justice, Brett Kavanaugh, was under attack by the Democrats for three days of a circus sideshow that embarrassed the, uh, the, the United States Senate. We'll talk more about that as we continue with Peter Kirstenau after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1023, we continue now with Peter Kirsten now at AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, I want to dive right back into the uh, news of the day now and talk about the current president of the United States being attacked by the former president of the United States who wants to take credit somehow, some way, for an economy that he said could never recover at the rate at which it has recovered. This is Barack Obama trying to uh, steal uh, Donald Trump's thunder. You hear how great the economy is doing right now. Let's just remember uh, when this recovery started. Suddenly, Republicans are saying it's a miracle. I have to kind of remind them, actually, those job numbers are the same as they were in 2015. This is the same president who said that it would take a magic wand to grow the uh, economy at a 4% rate as he responded to criticism of his anemic GDP growth during the recovery from the recession. Pete, take it from there. Yeah, um, I mean, we're talking about a guy who is one of the most um, insufferable mediocrities imaginable. Um, We know that it was the worst recovery in American economic history. And he said a number of times that 2% and his minions kept alleging that 2% was the new normal in terms of GDP rate. We had a 1.9% rate in 2016. And just before uh, President Trump took office, when President Trump was saying we're going to try to get to a 4% um, GDP rate again, Obama said, well, you're going to need a magic wand to get to 4%. Well, apparently, uh, we're at 4.2% right now, and Trump found that magic wand. So if Obama is claiming credit for this economy, which is the most laughable thing imaginable, then he himself must be surprised, although during that speech it sounded like he thought that this was just to be expected. Um, This is from a man who burdened the economy with Obamacare 
which was a giant wet blanket on the economy ever since its inception. If you talk to businessmen, you talk to attorneys, others who dealt with Obamacare or prior to Obamacare going into effect, we all said this is going to have a depressive effect on the economy and especially on hiring. It's just not going to uh, help at all, and it's going to hurt the nascent recovery that we had after the crash of 2008-2009. Then he burdens us with literally trillions of dollars of regulations, tries to kill the coal industry, shuts down the Dakota Access Pipeline and Keystone Pipeline, among other things. This man did so many things that you would think that his aim throughout was to harm the American economy. And then he comes out after a little bit of hibernation and tries to take credit for this. Apparently, for nine years, this growth was just waiting to happen, that he had planned this for, for nine years. It had to be after he left office. He <laughs> yeah, he was just laying president. the groundwork, right. Yeah, it was it, good. Exactly. <laughs> this, this is such a travesty, and maybe a bigger travesty is you've got an entire media that swoons and fawns over this stuff and tries to promote it. It, it is an abomination. I, I, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's a no, political abomination. It um, is. It, it, it's, it's not only an abomination for, for that, Pete. Let me share some more abomination. What, what would be a word for abomination here? Let me sh- uh, uh, I'm trying to find an adjective here. Uh, but this is, uh, this is more of the comments that uh, outraged uh, a lot of conservatives and President Trump supporters, and quite frankly, rational people. I don't care what your political stripes are. Rational people should be outraged by the following. And where is the following? And paranoia has unfortunately found a home in the Republican Party. This Congress has championed the unwinding of campaign finance laws to give billionaires outside influence over our politics. Systematically attacked voting rights to make it harder for young people and minorities and the poor to vote. Handed out tax cuts without regard to deficits. Slashed the safety net wherever it could. Cast dozens of votes to take away health insurance from ordinary Americans. Embraced wild conspiracy theories like those surrounding Benghazi. That's just 45 seconds of his insanity, uh, Pete, at an appearance he made in Urbana, Illinois last week, stumping four Democrat candidates. And again, outrage, abomination. You pick your word here. It works. Yeah. And, you know, where's the media? I keep saying this. Where's the media? They, they will nitpick things that Republicans say, and especially Donald Trump, and sometimes justifiably so. But this guy makes these howlers and they just swoon over it. The, the fact that this guy would say something about tax cuts with no regard for the deficit from a man who added $10 trillion to the national debt, it took us more than 200 years to go from zero national debt to $10 trillion, and he doubled it in eight years. It's astonishing what this guy says with a straight face and with impunity because his acolytes in the media think he is you know, the, as they said, the light worker. And they won't fact check him. They will never fact check him the way they do Donald Trump. It's also infuriating. And I know that um, there have been um, uh, others who've come out with respect to this. The fact that he would call Benghazi 
a conspiracy theory or that it's a figment of somebody's imagination. It was one of the great real-time failures by any president to protect Americans. And, the me and then he lied to the families, to the faces of the families of the deceased about what transpired and jails some poor videographer yeah. to justify it. Some some internet movie creator, and uh, and that's exactly what they did. Peter, let me get out here for our uh, our bottom of the hour news. On the flip side, uh, and I'm glad you're sticking around. Let's talk about the Kavanaugh hearings. Let's talk about Spartacus rising up to try to save our republic. I say that as tongue in cheek as I can get it. As we continue on AM 1420, the answer. All right, 1034 now. The Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer, it's a bit of a somber day. I spent the entire first hour of the program uh, providing a retrospective and uh, just kind of a, a mini makeshift memorial uh, to the victims of 9-11. And uh, we've kind of continued in that vein in large part today as well with a great reflection on the day, on this 17th anniversary of the day the world changed with Peter Kersenow. Peter's kind enough to stay with us for one more segment so we can also get on with the business of the day. Uh, here in 2018, as opposed to uh, 2001, Peter, of course, Cleveland attorney, U.S. Commissioner on Civil Rights, also the author of two phenomenal books already out and more to come, Target Omega and Second Strike. Make sure if you are into political thrillers that you pick those up. One available in uh, hardcover now and uh, the first one, Target Omega, is available in paperback. All right, Pete, uh, let's let's get into what happened last week. I was in Washington, D.C. at the time the hearings were going on. I wish I had been in the Senate side, I think, so I could have experienced some of this nonsense and this buffoonery myself. Uh, but I was over talking to House members about um, about immigration with FAIR. But uh, let's just hear this so that everybody can uh, kind of relive I appreciate it, I the comments of my colleagues. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. Spartacus Booker <laughs> decided. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, for those who don't know, remember the story, he um, uh, he essentially was going to throw his career on the line in his I am Spartacus moment to try to release uh, committee confidential documents uh, about Brett Kavanaugh and about um, racial profiling that he was not allowed to release, but he's willing to put his career on the line uh, to surrender uh, his own, uh, you know, his own uh, uh, good for for that of the country and for that of the republic to stop this terrible man from uh, from getting into the United States Supreme Court. Pete, two things. Number one, as we know, it was legal. Uh, the stuff that he uh, ended up releasing had already been cleared for release, so the whole thing was a fantasy, a charade. Second of all, the stuff that he was so desperate to release proved that Brett Kavanaugh was against racial profiling. What a, what an incredibly terrible thing to say. Go ahead. I want to thank Cory Booker because he provided me with at least five minutes of uninterrupted laughter after <laughs> that's something you cannot live down. And, you know, he's also famous for having his imaginary friend T-Bone. This is a guy, you know, let's, let's face it and, and be a little bit more serious about this. We are talking about the nomination of Supreme Court justice before the Senate of the United States, which had used, used to be known as the world's greatest deliberative body. And now it seems to be staffed with dim-witted senators who are out to grandstand for their own purposes. Now, 
the, the latter part is not necessarily that unusual, but it's taken such a sophomoric turn. And beyond that, we have turned what should be a serious proceeding, that is, the nomination and confirmation of a Supreme Court justice, into sheer buffoonery, into, into political theater. The Democrats apparently coordinated with these activists to disrupt the proceedings, knowing that they did not have the votes to prevent the supremely qualified Kavanaugh from receiving, from uh, obtaining confirmation. Mm-hmm. So they all decided that they were going to take the opportunity to burnish their Im- images as these left-wing resistance people, and they all fell flat on their collective faces, uh, especially Cory Booker. You, can't, you simply can't make that up, and that will live in infamy for, for a long, long time. Had he been a Republican, you'd be seeing that on a loop on CNN every five seconds. But take a look at, on a more serious uh, note, Kamala Harris, again, vying for, and she probably is, the front-runner for the Democratic nomination at this point, at least it seems that all the energy, as far as the party is concerned, is is behind her. And some of the mendacity that she engaged in, in the questioning of Kavanaugh, we could talk about that for a long time. And among lawyers, we can talk about the manner in which she conducted her questioning, uh, suggesting that, in fact, she had some impeachable evidence when, in fact, she had absolutely nothing, and, and what that says about her ethics. But Consider the one statement that she made, and it's important to remember that this is serious stuff. These are the people who make our laws, and they're also the the folks who can tell us the direction in which the country is going to be going. She made reference to the little book that Kavanaugh carries. In other words, the little book that I carry. Uh, as all my students know, and many the little book. Yeah, right. (laughs) Such a dismissive way to say that. Exactly right. That little book is the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. And and maybe Harris forgot that she took an oath on more than one occasion to protect and defend that Constitution, but she derided it as that little book. I think that is emblematic and very instructive as the mindset of many in our country, but it's particularly frightening to think that it's the mindset of one of 100 people, of the most 100 powerful people in the country, that make our laws. It's just a little book. And if you listen to the tenor of the questioning from those on the progressive side, the questioning presupposed that they were not confirming a Supreme Court justice but rather confirming some super legislator. They were asking questions suggestive of the fact that they believe that it's the duty of judges, but especially the Supreme Court, to make the law, not interpret the law. And that's been, uh, frankly, the manner in which they've been approaching this for decades. But it's gotten to the point now where they, they have been thwarted by the electorate in their abilities to make the law, and now they hope that some super legislature, meaning the Supreme Court, would do it on their behalf, and that's why they've been so apoplectic that Donald Trump is getting the picks that they believed were rightfully theirs under Hillary Clinton, and therefore they would have this lock on being able to dictate what the law in the country would be. It's, um, you know, we make fun of it, we look at it sometimes in, um, in droll terms, 
but it's important to keep your eye on this. Now, I, you know, I was not involved in this confirmation proceeding. I'd been involved in the five previous ones. And what bothers me about it is that each one got progressively more ludicrous. Um, starting with John Roberts, who was my first one that I had been involved in. And then there was a little bit of a respite during Kagan and Sotomayor, where things reverted back to, I think, a more sane approach. Not, com- not entirely, not completely, but I think the, the Senate took its role, the Senate Judiciary took its role uh, a little bit more seriously and soberly at that point. But then we had, you know, we had Alito, we had um, Gorsuch, and now this one was a complete circus. It was, it was a travesty, and I would hope that the American people would send a message that we want to return to sanity and responsibility on the part of these people. But as long as we've got folks like Spartacus in the Senate, I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> Pete, to, to, uh, to your point about the absurd, absurdity of this particular one and the circus atmosphere, and it being the only one of the last five you have not been a part of, or the last six now, do you wish you were? Would you have liked to have been yes. in that room? Yeah. I, I would have loved it because there are a lot of falsehoods. I did prepare for it because they had contacted me back in June about this, you know, just to be kind of uh, ready in the bullpen. And so, you know, I'd read a, a number of Kavanaugh's decisions, um, one of which was actually, to my own horn, a dissent citing a dissent that I had in, in a National Labor Relations Board case. I was extremely proud of that. <laughs> but in any event, um, I wish I had because there were a number of falsehoods that needed to be corrected on the record. I think a lot of it's not going to matter. He'll get confirmed. But from the standpoint of preserving their historical record, I think it's important not to allow someone to be smeared the way he was being smeared. It was unforgivable. And simply because it's now become part par for the course and we expect it doesn't mean that it's something that we should forget about. I would hope that at some point, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lose hope that at some point we revert back to. A, a, a kind of governance that the founding fathers had envisioned, where we had responsible people at the levers of government instead of these preening buffoons that we saw last week. Pete, last thing, uh, and I know you only have two minutes that you have to give us, but um, I have to ask you about the anonymous op-ed. Uh, everybody in D.C. has a view of this. Everybody really around the country does, of course. But I'm just speaking of people who are uh, a prominent of prominence in D.C. And I consider you one of those as a commi- uh, civil rights commissioner and a strong supporter of the Trump administration. Uh, what do you make of, A, the fact that this thing was written, B, the idea that it could be written by a Trump confidant within his inner circle, as alleged, and C, the fact that we'll never know that because the New York Times ran this thing anonymously. Uh, It could have been written by Brett Stevens of the New York Times, as far as we know. It could be pure fiction. So what's your take on it? Uh, Well, we could talk about this for a long time, but I I have one overriding uh, concern about this, and that is not even a concern, is that I would encourage people to read it. And then try not to fall asleep because it is nothing remarkable. Trump has people around him. He asks questions. They answer questions. He has ideas. They get shot down. Tell me how that departs from anything that's ever been done before with respect to presidencies. I wish, for example, when Obama was asking folks about Obamacare, that they had shot that down. What a horribly bad idea that was, but apparently they went forward with it. The fact that somebody, and I'm not convinced as to who this is, I have no idea. It could be a senior level official, it could be a minor official, it could be somebody over in the EPA, it could be, you know, some ghostwriter for New York Times. That's how far the media has fallen that we don't even trust them to be telling us the truth. 
That's right. But whoever it is, it's wholly unremarkable. And the fact is that he, he admits at the outset, or she admits at the outset, that Trump is succeeding. Things are going well. The economists have been telling us this is the greatest economic boom in our history. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's sure better than the mediocre, uh, mediocre economy we had over the last eight or nine years right. when President Lightworker, or President Lightweight, as I would like to say, was in charge of things. Well, Peter, America the Beautiful is uh, is uh, behind us, so we need to uh, we need to depart now. And I know you've got to run anyway. Really appreciate you putting in the extra time today. Great analysis. Thanks for your thoughts on nine uh, eleven on this anniversary as well. And uh, we'll catch up with you again next week, my friend. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Peter. Peter Kirsten now joining us. It's ten forty six. We'll get our final time out here. Uh, check our traffic and then come back. And if you would like to be heard on uh, any of these issues or with your own reflection of 9-11 on what I told you yesterday was going to be a commemorative show. I do it each and every year. Uh, if you would like to be a part of it in this final segment, dial now, 216-901-0945 on AM 1420, The Answer. And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died There ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. We have a very tragic alert for you right now. An incredible plane crash into the World Trade Center here at the uh, lower tip of Manhattan. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. Be advised, I've seen midway up the World Trade Center Tower heavy black smoke coming out. Also, it seems like uh, heavy, heavy damage to the upper portion of the building. we got numerous patients being brought out to me with all stages. People jumping out. People just kept jumping and jumping and jumping. And you could still see they were alive because they were flailing around. Another plane just flew into the second tower. This raises... This has to be deliberate, folks. Wait, we're being told a second plane, a second plane crashed into the building on the opposite end. We had an aircraft intentionally fly into the Pentagon. I did see, uh, you know, the, hear the blast and, and saw the smoke rising from the from the crash later. And this was, you know, just uh, shortly after hearing the news about the the crashes at the World Trade Towers. I hope I live. I hope I live. It's coming down on me. I saw the building falling down. I saw people jumping from the building, from the 100th floor, and I saw the building just coming down. 10-4. 10-4. It's like a war zone here. 
We have never seen anything like it. It is bad, extremely bad. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about, but probably thought wouldn't happen. <laughs> We do have a confirmation of apparently another plane crash about 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. The only thing you could see was a big gouge in the earth and some broken trees. See, there wasn't much left. City of New York and the United States of America is much stronger than any group of barbaric terrorists that our democracy, that our rule of law, that our strength and our willingness to defend ourselves will ultimately prevail. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward and freedom will be defended.
had to start again With just my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.